Well, hello, ladies and gents. Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com. And today I have special guest Ashley Van Houten on the line. And we had an amazing conversation. We dove deep into training um, and nutrition for females specifically. We talked about how the fitness industry as it relates to women and expectations and just we, we talked about a lot of stuff that a lot of people need to hear. There's a lot of misconceptions, a lot of ignorance around females in the fitness and nutrition space. So we kind of cleared some of that up. We also talked about organ meats, the importance of organ meats. She's actually writing a organ meat cookbook, which I'm super excited to get because I'm always looking for ways to make my organ meats taste great. We talked about all kinds of things. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I feel very confident you will as well. So without further ado, sit back, relax, tune in, and enjoy the conversation with Ashley. Ashley, how are you? I am fantastic. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for taking the time. So I don't know a whole lot about you, but I know you are in like the the female bodybuilding space. You've been doing like keto, low carb, carnivore, and you like organ meats. So mm-hmm. by default, that makes you pretty cool. And I just want to kind of <laughs> that's dive. all you need to know. Yeah, that's all you need to know all, about me. Really, that's there's nothing else. That's all you need. Um, so I'd love to kind of just dive deeper into your backstory, like what got you into the space, what made you interested, because there's not a whole lot of. I've had several, you know, keto people on the podcast, obviously, and I've had several bodybuilders on the podcast, but I feel like there's this lag between bodybuilders that actually know what carnivore and keto is and like how to use it for bodybuilding. So I kind of just want to dive into your backstory and what brought you into this way of eating in the first place. Yeah, cool. Um, Well, uh, I can talk about all of this for a long time. So please feel free to sort of interrupt as we go if you have questions, because you know how podcast people are, right? We can just kind of talk forever. So (laughs) hey, the floor um, is yours. (laughs) Yeah, stop me. Stop me whenever you want. But basically, I mean, I've always, I've always loved muscle on myself and on other people. When I was a kid, you know, I had older brothers and I was always watching like American Gladiators or wrestling or, um, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like I was into that kind of stuff. So I always appreciated strength and what that looks like physically. Um, And so I was never really like huge into sports growing up. I did um, a lot of individual sports as I got older. So I was, you know, I did gymnastics, I did swimming. And then when I um, was a little bit older, I got into CrossFit. And from there, I got into powerlifting. And from there, I got into bodybuilding. So I kind of went a weird route. I know some people end up or they start with sort of the aesthetic stuff and they, they're in bodybuilding and then they kind of move into a sport. I kind of went the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always just loved strength and and displays of strength and all of that. So so that kind of made sense that I just kind of got into that. I was working out in the gym since I was 16. And, you know, I'm not super old, but I will say that the, <laughs> that the, uh, the culture in the gym today is much different even than when I was a teenager. Like there were, of course, women working out and women trying to build muscle in, I don't know, I guess it was the early 2000s that I was um, a teenager, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But it wasn't the same, right? Like now you walk into a gym and maybe there's more women and they're all squatting. And back then it really wasn't that way. So um, I did have to kind of look towards more male role models. And luckily that's changed um, as I've gotten older. But um, yeah, and then I kind of, I guess it was sort of just a natural progression to caring about nutrition, obviously, because as you're trying to optimize your body composition, as you're trying to grow muscle, all of that stuff, you have to start caring about what you eat. Um, And then when you're not 19 anymore, you just have to care about what you eat because you can't get away with things Mm -hmm. the way you could when you were young. So um, 
all of that was kind of coinciding with uh, a professional career that I have a background in marketing communications and I was always working in sort of the corporate uh, world in industries that I didn't really care too much about. And I decided sort of in my early 20s, as I was really starting to understand what I was passionate about, I was trying to combine the things that I love to do, which is work out and learn about health and fitness and um, apply that to what I was good at professionally, which is uh, communicating and marketing and writing and, and connecting people and things like that. So it all kind of came together to um, where I was I was a journalist writing for different publications like Paleo Magazine and the CrossFit Games um, back in the day. Uh, and then that moved into being a podcast host and then eventually sort of a consultant for other uh, fitness personalities and growing their own podcasts and their own businesses and all of these things. Um, and throughout all of that, I was eating mostly paleo generally from the beginning because it was just an approach that made so much common sense to me. And there was also so much room for um, personalized nutrition within that kind of realm. So mm -hmm. it was like, and I still see it this way. I still see paleo or the, the concept of paleo and ancestral eating as a really great baseline for most people um, to understand just eating natural, like unprocessed food, eating real food. Um, and then from there, you kind of tweak and hone um, depending on your own sort of specific goals. Um, and then sort of further to that, and more recently, as I started to really kind of educate myself on uh, the way that we consume food, specifically meat in North America, and the problems with a lot of the mass-produced meat, uh, the problems with um, nutrient density in a lot of the foods that we're eating, I started getting into the the sort of organ meat side, and I can dive into that a lot deeper. But it's it's just a a sort of niche part of nutrition that I feel like is is underrepresented uh, and is incredibly important. Um, and I think it's important for bodybuilders, health people, low carb people, everybody, everybody who eats animals, I think should, uh, should be diving into this topic a little bit more. So that's kind of where I am right now. Anyway, no, that was I, the real clips notes. <laughs> I, I totally agree. It's kind of funny you speak of organ meats like that, because I feel like a lot of people you know, they'll they'll just gravitate towards like the ribeyes, like the, the prime cuts of a of a cow. But when you do that you're just from like an ethical standpoint, you're you're leaving so much to waste. And I feel like that's where my issue is. I mean, there's definitely a lot more micronutrient density in these organ meats, but mm -hmm. even taking that out of the equation, just looking at it from like an ethical standpoint, like you wanna eat holistically, like you wanna live holistically, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think one of the things that I learned in researching for my cookbook, which is a nose to tail organ meat uh, cookbook and researching uh, and speaking with farmers who are really doing things the right way in terms of sustainably and ethically and economically kind of raising animals in a way that's as, as close to natural as possible. One of the things that I learned is that there does tend to be perhaps less waste um, than we think when we're talking about um, harvesting an animal. But with that said, uh, you know, when they're harvesting an animal and they're taking all the good stuff, the ribs and the ribeyes and all that kind of stuff for us, and you wonder where the organ meat goes, it usually isn't thrown out, mm -hmm. but it is often, it's maybe made into feed or, or whatever, fertilizer or something for other animals, but it's also commonly, and this is something I didn't know, 
exported to places like Mexico or other places where they do appreciate and enjoy and eat organ meats, which again is kind of crazy because you think about it, we're doing all this work to raise this animal and then we're harvesting it and then we're sending away the most nutrient dense parts of it and we're essentially eating the leftovers, which is kind of crazy. Like, yeah, I get it that like ribs are, are tasty and, and mainstream and, and easy to understand. But when you think about it from a purely, um, you know, pragmatic standpoint, like we're giving away the good stuff and we're eating what's left, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, it's kind of funny because a lot of the stuff that we're giving away is looked at as a delicacy in some of these other countries. So they're probably just thinking that we're crazy Americans that are giving away the best part of the animal. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's what we're doing. It's it's nuts. <laughs> so I kind of want to dive into, I definitely want to talk about the cookbook and the organ meats, but I want to rewind a little bit more and talk about mm-hmm. you getting into like fitness, especially as a, as a female. I mean, it, it is noticeable that I feel like more women are you know, embracing the benefit to, you know, lifting heavy compound movements. But I just get so many questions surrounding, you know, like so many women just are, I don't know where the stigma comes from, but they just feel they're going to look like a, you know, the cover of a flex magazine if they do a couple sets of bicep (laughs) curls. So I kind of just, any opportunity I get to have a guest on that is a female and knows what she's talking about, I just want to like give you the floor to like speak to that because I feel like more people need to hear it. Yeah, thank you. Can you just let me like yell into the mic for 10 minutes? Like yeah, lifting just... <laughs> weights won't make you bulky. Like maybe if we just if we just scream it loud enough, people will hear it. I mean, yeah, it is it is one of those things I think where people like you and I who are obviously in a very sort of like specific bubble of like health and fitness and bodybuilder nerds, we tend to think that that's what you know, the world is. And then when you get out into the greater world outside of our bubble, and you do hear these things about, you know, women not wanting to lift heavy weights, because they're scared of what they're going to look like. And it is frustrating, because it's so hard to deprogram um, myths and outright lies that have been programmed from a young age, right? It's really, really hard. I mean, that's why people still have a hard time with, and women, especially with like high fat food because Mm -hmm. we're just we've been programmed for so long that it's bad and it takes a lot of work to sort of deprogram that and i think a lot of it is essentially leading by example and instead of just trying to like yell into the social media void that fat is fine and lifting heavy weights is fine you just kind of have to do it and and let people sort of come to you and see how you're doing things and ask questions and be willing to answer them but you know, I've had plenty of times, um, and I'm sure our mutual friend, uh, Rachel Gregory, can speak to this too, being a um, jacked uh, keto eater. But I've had mm-hmm. I've had times where I've been in the gym where I've had random stranger strangers come up to me, women saying like, oh, hey, like, you know, you look like you know what you're doing. Like, can you talk to me about how to do XYZ lift? Or I really want to gain some muscle, but I'm scared and I don't know how to do it. And I'm worried that I'm going to get too big. And, you know, I inevitably always answer these women by saying like, look, you can be honest with me, okay? Do you think that I'm a little bulky? Like, do you think I'm a little bit, maybe too big? And they're like, no, no, like you look great. Your muscles are great. And I'm like, you know what? I have been trying for 15 years to get bulky. And this is what, (laughs) this is the result, okay? So I promise you, (laughs) you're not gonna accidentally wake up one day and be too bulky. I'm trying so hard to build muscle and this very modest amount is what I've managed to to come up with, you know? So, and again, it's like people just have to sort of almost hear it in person in front of their, like they have to see it and hear it I, I don't know, however many times before they get it. Um, I do think it's changing a little bit though. Like with this sort of keto um, 
movement gaining so much mainstream attention and with the new sort of uh, evolution of fitness with women being so um, invested in especially maybe specific body parts like a lot of lower lower body seems to be the trend these days but Mm. just at least that is a gateway to yes go to the gym work hard Um, it's okay to grunt and sweat and and lift a really heavy weight and be kind of scared about it but that's that's what it is you know we all gain muscle the same way we just start from a much uh uh, bigger disadvantage in terms of how much muscle and how much testosterone we have to work with but um yeah and i mean you know what i think part of it maybe some of the problem could be from this constant comparison that we all have by spending too much time on social media, seeing influencers, seeing people who are on there um, who maybe aren't always super transparent or forthcoming with Mm -hmm. the kinds of training and nutrition and extracurricular uh, supplementation (laughs) that they're doing. Like, let's be real, you know, everybody's entitled to do what they want to do with their bodies, um, but not being open about what they're doing to get the look that they have, I think, is hurting people because, you know, we're in this environment where, like, I can be, I can follow a ton of professional athletes and see them all day long living their life and looking the way they look or looking the way they portray themselves on online. And I think I should be able to do that, too, because we've got this weird sort of um, apparent uh, level playing field on social media where we can all see everybody and everybody's kind of there and we're all doing you know the same things or quote unquote the same things and so we think we should be able to look the same way that this influencer who has 500,000 followers and is doing this for a living um, should look and I think that it's it's tough too especially when people don't say I look this way because I maybe am taking PEDs, <laughs> maybe I've had plastic surgery, maybe this is a totally photoshopped image. You know, it's it's problematic. So I think um, I think it's important for women to again maybe spend spend more time and men too, following people that they believe are authentic, um, people who are being as open and honest and transparent as as we can hope for, um, and then also at the end of the day just really trying not to compare yourself to people that you don't even know. You don't know what their story is. You don't know what they're actually doing. Um, and I feel like that was a huge part of my very modest success with bodybuilding was that I literally didn't follow any female bodybuilders. Like I didn't, I didn't have one that I looked up to aside from my coach, um, that I wasn't looking at my competitors online and seeing how their prep was going. And I like, there's, there's no point to that. It does not help. Um, it, it isn't a realistic, uh, view of what's actually going on. It's only going to freak you out more and waste your time. Um, focus on yourself. And when you put every bit of effort you can into being the best version of yourself, then you're not going to feel bad about how you look or how it turns out because you did everything you could rather than spend time freaking out about what somebody else looks like, you know? So anyway, I, that was a long rant, but no, that was a very worthwhile rant. I love it. Like I, I, need, <laughs> Thank you. I need to just like print that whole statement off and plaster it on the wall. <laughs> yeah. Could not agree more. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. interesting because I've been, you know, I, I compete in the WNBF. You have to be like 10 years natural in order to even step on stage. They polygraph you, they urinalysis test you, they do all this stuff. And nice. it's weird because natural, like, I don't, I don't really talk about natural bodybuilding. It's like this weird unspoken code. Like, if you're a true natural athlete, it's like you shouldn't have to just go around saying that you're natural because then people just assume that you're not. But right. at the same time, I was like thinking about that and I'm like, well, wait a minute here. I am keto and I believe in keto so strongly. I'm, a, I'm an advocate for it. So I've been like creating all this content about it, yet I don't do the same for natural bodybuilding, which I also 
feel very strongly about. And there's so mm-hmm. much, you know, ignorance as to what is truly humanly possible. And it, it's sad because it, it's it's become manifested very much so in females because they see these people that are just jacked and they assume that's what's going to happen if they lift weights, like we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier. But, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I love how you said it. Like, I've been trying 15 years to get bulky and this is what I've got. Like, I think yeah. people just totally don't understand. I mean, if you're a female and unless you're taking – Unless you're taking drugs, like you, you're never going to look like a Flex magazine cover um, no. unless you're taking drugs, you know. And there's so much dishonesty in the male and female department. And people, it, it, it's frustrating because people come into this wanting to be healthy, wanting to improve, you know, their longevity, wanting to like, you know, find the fountain of youth. And they find these people that are misleading them and showcasing what is not even possible. And they just get discouraged far too quickly because they assume that they should be looking like that after a few months. Um, so I'm, I'm going to make that a main focus going forward. I feel like just, you know, shouting that from the rooftops is, is so incredibly important. I, I completely agree with you. And I think there almost might be like, there's like this weird thing in the bodybuilding world where on one hand, within the community, it's very um, not taboo to talk about uh, mm-hmm. PDs or, or steroids or whatever, because everybody or everyone thinks everyone's doing it. And it's kind of just sort of assumed. But then it's almost like we got to keep it within our group. We don't talk about it outside. And then there's also this other thing where if you're a natural athlete, and you want to have a platform to talk about that openly, it's almost like you are then talking down to the people who aren't natural athletes, which Mm -hmm. I don't think is really fair to say, because look, if you want to go on a podcast and say, everybody who takes steroids is an idiot and they're liars and they're disingenuous. Okay. That's, that's kind of an aggressive statement. Right. But for me to say, for example, that for all of the women and men that I know that, that take steroids to compete, that's not my business. I don't care what they do. They can do whatever they want. It's if you say you, if you do it and then you say you're doing something else, that's a problem for me. So I think for us to have a platform to say, look, we're proudly natural athletes. We don't take anything else. If you want to, that's fine. But here's our story. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think there needs to be more transparency in this industry and not less. 100% agree. I mean, I think, like like you said, I don't care what people are taking. That's their decision. Like, it's a totally different sport. And if that's your livelihood, like if you're competing on the Olympia stage and that's literally how you feed your family, then you're going to have to take shit to be competitive. That's just yeah. how it works. But I don't want people that don't know the difference, don't know that niche to come into the space, see somebody being disingenuous and dishonest, and think that it's all because they're they're eating their organ meats, you know? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I would add to that, too, that I I do think it's a a different conversation for women um, than men because, and again, this is my opinion, take it with a grain of salt, whatever. But look, I know a ton of men who don't compete in bodybuilding at all that are doing TRT, that are taking testosterone replacement therapy. Like, there's a lot more nuance for men in terms of the that that sort of side of it. Um, Generally speaking, for the average woman who is not a professional bodybuilder to be messing with hormones and steroids and things like that. I think generally speaking across the board, it's a lot more problematic for us than it is for men. Mm -hmm. And I think that women should think about this a lot more before they decide to enter into it, especially if you are an amateur athlete. Like this is another thing that I've, I've kind of talked about a little bit on social media and with women who come and, and talk to me and ask me because there's a massive amount of pressure to immediately start taking things to be the best version of yourself, right? Like people are telling you, hey, you look this good naturally. Imagine how you could look if you took whatever. I got that every day in my life while mm-hmm. I was competing. Um, but it can be, it can cause irreversible damage. And again, maybe it can do that for men too, and you can speak to that better than I can. But 
weighing the pros and cons. If you are an amateur athlete, you're not doing this to make money. You're doing this to uh, achieve a goal. You're doing this to look good. You're doing this to feel good. You're doing this to have a, a project that you complete and feel uh, accomplished about. Think about what Think about what the end goal of this is. Is this to be the most ripped, crazy version of yourself so you could take a picture, even if it messes with your hormones and it messes with your reproduction and it messes with your voice and your facial structure? Like, are you willing to do that so you can get second place at a local amateur bodybuilding competition? Like, I think I just feel like people lose sight of what they're doing it for. If you, you know, and I've said this on social media too, like I was competing at a local amateur level and and I was competing against women who were, so such low body fat i competed in figure um mm -hmm. and we all know that there's different uh there's different criteria for bikini figure fitness physique all of these things um and people would start out like you said with good intentions i just want to i just want to have a goal and, and fall and see it through and feel good about myself and maybe take a couple ab pictures like that's all i want and then they get caught up in this world where they think like okay well if i have to be lean to compete i i have to be the leanest or if i have to be this strict i have to be the strictest and if i i want to have abs in my veins or veins in my abs then i have to take this drug and i'll just do it for this this show and then it'll be done and people just completely lose sight of what they were what they were trying to accomplish in the first place, and it can have long-lasting results that are not worth it. If you're a professional athlete and you know the risks that you are taking to do the things that you're doing, and like you said, it's your livelihood, you're making money. I mean, we look at Olympic athletes all the time who are taking years off their life to compete mm -hmm. the way they're competing, but they're doing it because that's their their job, they're getting paid, and they're well aware of the risks. But for those of us who are just sort of amateur, recreational, having fun type athletes, the level that we are going to to compete is, I think, really short-sighted and really unhealthy in a lot of cases. So again, that's why I came out of it, out of competing and, and didn't have any long-lasting effects, and I didn't have any weird sort of bounce backs, and I didn't have any um, health issues because I told myself, I'm only going to do this if it's fun. And I'm only going to do it if I enjoy it and I like the way I look and I feel good. Um, and when it stops, when that stops being the case, I'm not doing it anymore. So, and, and when I can't compete, when I'm not competitive anymore, unless I have to take drugs, then I'm also going to stop because it's just not worth it for me. You know? So I think people just being really, really clear on what they're, they're hoping to accomplish and, and setting boundaries for themselves before they get into it is really important. Totally, totally agree. And, and what's more is I feel like, at least for me, you know, a bodybuilding prep has always been more so a competition with myself than with others. I feel like that's a healthier way to go about it. And yep. it's sad to see people, because like when you're, when you're doing it all naturally, when you're dieting for four to six months naturally, and you're tracking every single macronutrient, every single micronutrient, you're getting everything dialed in to, to reach that goal and be a better version of yourself than you were last time, you're you're having like this mindset shift, like you're growing like in ways that you've never grown before. And you're only selling yourself short. You're selling that growth short. If you quote unquote, give yourself a little, you know, like break a little cheat basically by taking these drugs, because when you take those drugs, the, the consistency and the discipline and the, the degree of accuracy of those macros, those meals, it, you can get away with a lot more. Like you can kind of, you know, blur the lines a lot more and still look great on show day, but you're, you're missing out the whole point of, being consistent, being disciplined. And that's like, you're just cheating yourself in the long run with that. Mm -hmm. Yep. I agree. It's, it's a tough sport because, you know, I, I've spoken about it before. I feel like I also get a little bit, I don't want to say I take it personally, but like a lot of people who just uh, shouted about bodybuilding from the rooftops until 
until it was a problem for them. And then they shout from the rooftops how dysfunctional and terrible bodybuilding is. And mm -hmm. I think, look, it is a sport that attracts can attract um, people with dysfunctional attitudes towards eating and working out and with dysfunctional attitudes towards their own bodies and their own health because it is at the end of the day an aesthetic competition mm -hmm. it's not a performance competition so a lot of people can use this as an excuse to justify um, disordered eating and unhealthy attitudes right absolutely but every sport can attract people who have addictive unhealthy attitudes towards competition and training and and overwork and all of those things so to say that bodybuilding is inherently bad i think is um a little bit much but i think that um again it's it's you have to take responsibility at the end of the day to understand if something is healthy or not for you. And I've had a couple different women come to me who are into fitness and maybe they, they've always had a goal of sort of feeling a certain way about themselves and they've, but they've sensed that there was something like, I'm not sure. Like people tell me I should do one of these bikini competitions and I'm just, I don't know. And I kind of want to talk it through with somebody. And like, if you're getting these red flags where you've had maybe disordered eating in the past, or you've had really low self-esteem um, about the way you look in the past, going into a sport like this could very well be problematic and not worth it. Um, and that's when you need to kind of do the, the personal work to say like, am I, is this going to be good for me or bad for me? If it's going to be bad for me, what are some other avenues that I could pursue that are going to give me a, a sense of accomplishment and empowerment and strength and all of those things that I'm really looking for. Um, but, you know, nothing is good or bad across the board. It's all, you know, the poison's in the dose, the poison is in, you know, your own attitude towards whatever the goal is. And I just think that, you know, like we've been saying, if people are just a little bit more open and honest with themselves and with each other, then we'd have a easier time kind of navigating these things. 100% agree. I feel like if you're doing it, you know, if you're going about it in a natural way, you're giving yourself ample time to be in a caloric surplus and have a building phase and you're you're not going crazy with the relationship with food, then it can be one of the healthiest things you could possibly do. But if you take it to the extreme and go the opposite in the spectrum, it could easily be one of the most unhealthy things you could do. Um, yeah. So to totally agree. What about your your perspective on, uh, you know, just like giving your body enough fuel? Because I think women especially, they're, they're constantly just, are chronically just under eating. And I feel like you, you come from a place where you, you know the importance of fueling the body properly. And I feel like you could speak very well to that. So you mm -hmm. want to just kind of take it from there on that as well? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because on, on that particular topic, I sometimes feel like I have a hard time communicating with women about it because I really don't, I have never had that attitude. And I realize that I'm in the minority as far as women who fitness women who don't come from that, that restrictive point of view. Like if anything, my challenge was always that I was eating too much. Like I walk around thinking I'm like a 200 pound, like muscle bound dude when I'm actually not. And so I need to kind of rein it in the other way. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, from my work with, um, you know, coaching women and just sort of being in this industry, I, I definitely see that that is a, a very pervasive issue because all ultimately, even in the fitness world, men are always trying to get big, women are always trying to get small, generally speaking, right? Like even if we're trying to be lean and muscular, like we're trying to tighten and bring things in and look smaller and have these tiny angles. And so inherent with that, there's always a sort of restrictive, like how much can you get away with, you know, eating less and less and, and things like that. And it's always been really almost kind of fascinating to me to, um, to see how little women can survive off of honestly it's kind of it's kind of sad but i've worked with like friends of mine maybe who aren't necessarily fitness minded people but 
not, you know, fitness to the level that we are, like we're kind of nerds and obsessed with it, but like mm-hmm. they want to be like healthy and, and fit. And maybe some of them um, come to me because they're overweight and they want to lose some fat and they want to improve their body composition. And I'll see what they eat in the run of maybe three to five days. And we both find it hard to believe when I will tell them, like, you eat a quarter of what I eat, truly. Like, just let it sink in. And they can't understand it because they're like, if I'm 30 to 40 pounds overweight, how is it possible that you're eating more than I am? And that's something that has to sink in on both sides, really, because I'm just like, it's incredible. And especially with women, how complicated our hormones are and how um, it, it is kind of a more complicated situation when we're talking about sort of fat retention and and, and um, fasting and, and all those kinds of things for women. Um, but you have to fuel your, your body or your body will hang on to every single bit of nourishment it can. And that's how people who hardly eat anything are holding on to extra fat and also why their body composition is what they want because another thing women can do is they can lose a bunch of fat and they painstakingly restrict their calories over long periods of time and then they get smaller so maybe they're fitting into a smaller outfit but they still don't like the way they look because you aren't supporting your muscle growth you're not supporting optimal body composition you just lost some weight and that's another distinction that i think a lot of people have a hard time with is that they think if they're losing if they're losing less pounds that that's across the board going to be a good thing and they're going to look better. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. I mean, lots of times when people are supporting their their body function and they're working hard in the gym, you're, you're going to maybe gain pounds um, before you lose them, but you're going to look better. You're going to fit into your clothes better. You're going to have that muscle underneath the fat that's going to change the shape of your body and it's going to look better. So again, I mean, it's a tough thing because we can just sort of yell into the void forever. Like you have to eat more, you have to eat more. Like we can just keep saying it, but until people really internalize it and try it for themselves, um, it's going to be hard to change people's minds. And that's why oftentimes with women, especially it's, it's the protein that's the issue um, because they're just, you know, so stuck on like hundred calorie snacks or little snacks here and there. I can just have a salad with, you know, an ounce of chicken and it's going to fill me up because there's a lot of volume there. And it's like, you're, you're kind of missing the point. So what I usually, the first step that I'll, I'll try to get women to do is just eating a little bit more protein with every meal, mm-hmm. um, having maybe snacks that are protein first before their carbs or fat or whatever, um, because we all know that that's the macronutrient that's going to support um, muscle growth and is also one of the, the most satiating um, and is one that we can't sort of make internally and all that stuff. So having women eating more protein and realizing that they don't automatically like grow a beard and you know uh (laughs) whatever you know that's a real like light bulb moment for people and also just feeling satisfied by what you're eating because we all know that just eating salads with no meat in them every day like that's no way to live um so you know just kind of but having people just live it for a bit you know and I, i tell people who are who are maybe scared of it i'm like look just just try it for a few weeks and see what happens because if it doesn't work, if I'm lying to you and this is a terrible idea, you're you're just where you started, right? Like you haven't lost anything. You've maybe learned something. You've learned what works or what doesn't work, but just give it a shot. And usually a few weeks into actually eating nourishing meals and, and more protein, and they're like, oh, I have energy and I feel better. And maybe things are changing in the gym and they start changing their mind. And that's kind of what gets the ball rolling. Um, but yeah, I think people just sort of being willing to open their minds and just try some things, even if it scares them, is really where it all starts. Totally. It's it's interesting because I'm, I'm doing a lot of research right now on just kind of like the, the current state of the union, so to speak, within the fitness industry and nutritional and dieting protocols. And, you know, like if, if you're if you're a healthy individual that's got a healthy maintenance caloric intake, you've got a 
you know, solid base of lean muscle tissue and you're looking at like the calories in, calories out equations, how to calculate everything, how to, you know, taper calories to reach desired body fat goal. Like a lot of those principles hold true. Like you can just simply manipulate caloric intake and your body's in a healthy enough state to be able to pretty much see the the results you're looking for with those manipulations. But if you're coming from a place of just chronic under eating and you don't have that much lean mass, your metabolism is down regulated and you're looking to these fitness experts that are touting this message and you try to apply those principles, like you are literally going to be screwed. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, it's very frustrating. <laughs> There's really, I mean, I, I like, I circle around this topic and I, you know, say all of the inspirational things that I said earlier about how, like, we just have to live by example and try to put out the best information we can and hope that it gets through. But it's very frustrating because I still have a, a huge community of, of friends and loved ones that, like I said, aren't maybe in the huge health nerd community like we are that are looking to, and I won't even say names because I'm not here to to throw people under the bus, but they're still looking at like these massive influencers who probably for the most part have very unattainable lifestyles and bodies to the people that they're marketing to. Um, and they're just selling products. They're just selling their, you know, get a hot ass in three weeks program PDF. You know what I mean? And it's just, it is very frustrating um, because it's so easy to play to our insecurities. It's so easy because we all like to pretend uh, that we don't care what other people think and that it's all about what we what we want to achieve and we're doing this for us and we, you know but at the end of the day we're social creatures we want to look good we want other people to think we look good we want other people to think that we're successful so trying to constantly balance that um intrinsic motivation and doing what's right for us but also putting out this you know, outward persona of being like sorted out and attractive and appealing to people. It's tough, right? Especially if you are on the internet all day looking at other people. It's really, really tough. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, when I was following traditional bro dieting, you know, flexible dieting approach, and I was, you know, just focusing on the calories, it always seemed like I was just missing the point. And that's what I really liked about the direction, you know, the keto lifestyle as a whole took. I mean, it, it, it placed a lot more emphasis on, uh, you know, high quality nutrient dense foods just kind of by default. When you compare, you know, a piece of kale to a piece of beef liver, like it's pretty much <laughs> a total opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, so yep. I like that about, you know, this low carb keto community. And I feel like whenever you're, even if you haven't reached your desired body fat goal, or your composition, if you know in your heart of hearts that you're eating the best quality foods you can, you're at least moving something in the right direction. And I feel like trying to, you know, do all this crazy miraculous eat pop tarts and get shredded stuff and just inherently feels wrong. Whereas if you're yeah. doing the right thing nutritionally speaking, you know that something's improving in some form or fashion. Yep, I agree. So on that note, kind of talk about you know, talk about nutrients. You're writing the the Oregon meat is it Oregon meat or carnivore cookbook? It's an Oregon meat cookbook. Very niche, I know. <laughs> But, you know, it's funny because when I when I came up with this idea not too long ago, I thought, all right, there's not a lot of books out there talking about this, which is a good thing. Um, and people thought that keto was a weird fad a couple years ago. And now there are, I don't know, 150 keto cookbooks that you can buy out there. Uh, more than that, probably. Mm -hmm. So there's a market for everything. I think it's an important topic. But yeah, I will I will give you it's pretty niche. It, it is. But I think niche is the way to go. I feel like if you're trying to appeal to all people for all things, then you'll gain no traction whereas if you just go super deep on a specific topic that's that's going to be the best best plan of action i think that's what i'm hoping for 
So let's let's dive in. I don't want to <laughs> reveal too much of the cookbook here, but I want to talk about this because I like. I mean, I I'm pretty basic. I think a lot of guys are pretty basic when it comes to cooking. Like I'll just eat whatever makes the most sense and is easy to prepare. But I try to incorporate a lot of organ meats personally. But mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm in the, going about the best way to making them taste good. So what what are some good yeah. go to easy recipes that that don't destroy your taste buds? Yeah, it's a good question. Like, it's funny because I do the re- one of the reasons why I wanted to write this book is because as I was sort of posting about my own food on social media and talking about it, I would get so many comments from people who are like, I get that this is healthy. I get that liver is a good idea. I get that organ meats are a good idea, but I just can't stomach it. Like, how do you make it edible? <laughs> and again, I might be a tough person to ask that question simply because I like the taste of most organ meats. Like there are some out there that I, I, you know, have to work a little harder to make them palatable, but like, I like liver. I've always liked liver. So I feel like maybe I just have like a, a slightly um, more, maybe, um, I don't know, open palate than a lot of people because I just like the taste of a lot of these things. But I will say that there are absolutely ways that you can make them less um, of a chore and less like, okay, this is just functional. I got to get it down, which like you were saying, I think a lot of bodybuilders and meatheads are like, look, these are the macros, just put them in my body. Like it doesn't have to be good. Just like get it, get it down. Um, And there are definitely ways you can go about it. And like, so speaking really um, generally about organ meats, everybody kind of talks about liver. That's sort of like the king, right? Because it's just the most nutrient dense pound for pound uh, food that we can put in our body. So if you really want to make the best use of your, your organ meat um, budget, you're going to want to get liver. Um, But I would say that maybe some, some starter points would be to uh, generally with any organs, but especially liver, start with the smaller animals because they're, um, milder tasting. So with any organs, if you're starting with like fowl, if you're getting um, chicken livers, um, rather than beef liver, it's going to be a milder, easier taste. Mm -hmm. Um, And that goes for heart, that goes for, you know, all kinds of uh, meats. Um, So that's a good place to start. And then another thing that I might recommend people try uh, is heart because heart is like the meat that we're used to eating, steaks and and ground beef and all those things. It's a muscle meat. Um, So it's one of those things that we think it's extreme because we're not used to it. And we think it's extreme because in its uncut form, it looks like a heart, um, which might be intense for people, but it's a muscle meat, just like all the stuff that we're used to eating. And so it has a relatively mild taste. It doesn't have a super strong, like you got to get your head around it kind of taste. And they're very easy to to make. You can chop them up and, and mix it up with your ground beef um, that you're going to put over your rice or whatever, maybe, I guess, keto. People aren't eating rice, <laughs> cauliflower rice. There you go, cauliflower um, rice. Yeah, um, you can roast it, you can do all kinds of things with it, and it's delicious. And so, again, some of this is about just kind of getting our head around the fact that if we're already meat eaters, we already are um, okay with and have accepted the fact that animals are dying for us to be nourished, right? Um, It's so arbitrary that we think that a rack of ribs is normal just because we're used to it, and a heart is extreme because we aren't used to it. It's the same animal. It's a different part of the same animal, and it offers more nutrients. So like, let's just kind of, instead of thinking of things that are different as scary, let's think of things that are different as an exciting opportunity. And I think that goes for everything in life too, not just eating, right? If you are willing to open your mind to different experiences, it's such a low risk endeavor, right? Because you try heart, maybe you don't like it, but you're right back where you started. Fine. Okay. So heart's off the table. You don't have to do heart, but you learn something. And if you did like it, then you've got 
all these new opportunities to make cool new dishes and different things. And maybe you're saving money because heart is less expensive than the other thing that you were eating. And, you know, so, um, yeah, it's kind of a roundabout way. Like this book really is about getting people to understand the benefits of a nose to tail diet, but it's also even more about getting people to just regard their life and their health as a journey and one that's exciting and it's kind of never ending and it's it's fun. It doesn't have to be new things, don't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be a chore. It can be like, this is a cool new opportunity to try something that could be super fun and super awesome and super delicious. Yeah, it's like a challenge almost. I mean, I had a bunch of antelope part two days ago. And the the nice thing about organ meats, for the most part, is is they they soak up and absorb whatever marinade, if you're using a marinade, more so than most other muscle meats. Uh, So, like, whatever, they they take on the flavor of whatever you want to marinate them in much better. So, like, you you have a lot more options, I guess, when it comes to how you want to flavor it, which is also nice. Yeah, like things like uh, sweetbreads are great for that. Um, tripe, which is animal stomach, which a lot of people um, might have an issue with because it's more of a textural issue. It doesn't actually taste strongly, but it's a little bit more chewy, which interestingly enough is why tripe is very popular in a lot of cultures cuisine so that's another thing to consider too is that depending on where you grew up or where you live like organ meats aren't weird at all right it's really only in um some not all some north american culture where we are um kind of privileged i suppose where we don't have to eat all of the parts of the mm-hmm. animal anymore right like pre-agriculture like pre-factory farming when people just went to the farm and and you know we slaughtered an animal and you ate the animal right it wasn't a question it wasn't like oh i'm just gonna w- eat the white breast because that's what i prefer no you're, you're gonna eat the whole animal because that's what you do you you know um so there's plenty of of cultures and and cuisines around the world that are still making very good use of of all of the animal parts so um but yeah it is a good point a lot of this stuff isn't as scary to work with as you think. Like there are some organs and there are some recipes in the book that take a little bit more work um, and are a bit more delicate to work with. But a lot of these things like um, liver and heart and tongue is another good one. They're actually quite easy to work with um, and super delicious and super versatile. You can do a lot of different things with them. So um, yeah, there's a lot to work with. Where do you source most of your organs? Do you have like a local butcher that you go directly through? Yeah, I mean, the majority of my sourcing has been locally with local farms, local butchers. There are plenty of uh, online purveyors that do great work, and I don't have any formal relationship with any um, any of the online companies, but it's it's easy enough to find some of these ones like Belcampo or U.S. Wellness Meats and, and folks like that that you can get stuff. But my my suggestion, depending on where you're living, is if you have a farmer's market anywhere close by, if you have a butcher shop anywhere close by, like go in there and start talking to people. You know, that's what I did. Like I had to source some, again, quote unquote, pretty weird <laughs> or rare ingredients, right? Like I was cooking with blood. I was cooking brain. I was cooking all kinds of things that you don't just go to your local grocery store and pick up, right? Um, and it can be intimidating to people, right? Because you're like, oh, I have to like go into this butcher shop and ask these people for this weird ingredient that probably no one's asked them for. Again, that's part of the fun. I end up making some good friends this way because I'm asking weird questions. Um, And when you are interested in things and you're interested in what people are doing, and if you have um, good local butchers and good local farmers, they'll be more than happy to help you, to explain things to you, to point you in the right direction. So um, I would definitely try to do that first. Again, it depends on where you're living, what kind of access you have, but I, I would try to do the local thing first. 
do you have any like upper thresholds for certain organ meats? Like a lot of people are worried about over consuming liver because they're they're going to overdo their iron consumption. Like, is there any opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are some very, and I, I wrote I write about this a bit more explicitly in the book, but there are some specific cases where if you have pre-existing conditions or certain issues with things like you said, like iron and maybe vitamin A in some cases where if you're overdoing it, it can be problematic. This is not, generally speaking, something people need to worry about, first of all, because most most people don't um, have too much of these things generally. Mm -hmm. And also you're not eating a ton of it. Like that's the other thing that I like to talk about is most people aren't going to sit down to a 12, 16 ounce hunk of liver, right? And you're certainly not going to do that five, six times a week. Like the the beauty of, of a lot of organ meats is that they're so nutrient dense that you can eat a couple ounces once a week and be getting what you need. Um, so I don't think it's generally a cause of concern for too many people. I think if you're eating, if you're incorporating organ meats once or twice a week into your diet, you're probably pretty safe and, and pretty well off for that. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think the only yeah. organ meat I have not yet tried is brain simply because I haven't had the opportunity or I haven't made the opportunity. How do you go about cooking brain typically? Well, brain is, um, it's a fun one. That one I got to say is one of the more intense because look, it's funny because I'm, I'm not overly squeamish, obviously, uh, about working with, with meat and different parts. But like throughout this process of putting this book together, like I've had some interesting experiences, right? Like the first time you cook your own beef tongue and you come home with a two pound <laughs> foot long tongue that yep. just straight up looks like a tongue, like that's pretty intense, right? And I've, I've cooked with, you know, um, pig skin and like that, that it's pretty intense too. And brain was another one because, because a veal brain looks like a, a brain. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's kind of intense, but again, it's a, it's a learning experience. You kind of get over yourself. You're like, look, if I can handle, uh, you know, a steak, I can, I can handle this. Um, but brains are quite delicate. Um, and they're quite sort of, uh, when cooked properly, they're really, really mild tasting. Um, again, they kind of absorb whatever you cook them with and they're almost like almost creamy. So I've had them before in other, uh, places like in restaurants where it's like almost like a pate, um, in one of the ways I've done it is um, with eggs. So like mm. basically a scramble, like scrambled brains and eggs because they actually have quite a similar texture. Um, and one of the recipes I have in the book is, you know, it's basically scrambled brains and eggs. Great, great protein, great breakfast. And when you mix it into the eggs with some green onion and some avocado and some salt and pepper, like you, if I was a mean person who wasn't going to warn somebody and tell them what was in there, <laughs> they wouldn't know there was brain in it it's just like they're eating eggs um so but yeah there's there's plenty you can do with it but that's that's a really easy one is you're literally kind of poaching it um chopping it up and putting it in your pan with some some eggs and make a frittata or something gotcha easy. gotcha and eating yep. brains automatically makes you smarter by default right? yeah that's how i that's how i like to go with it <laughs> I, I don't know if there's much science behind it but we'll we'll go with that hey i like it i like it <laughs> yeah. so when when does this book come out the summer this summer right yeah, so I mean, I'm not exactly sure when this will be coming out, but I'm. It's pretty safe to say that when this is live, the book will be available because it's essentially it's pre-order the summer, and then it's going to be on shelves um, in October in you know Barnes and Noble or wherever you buy your books. So yeah, um, it's it's out there. Very nice, very nice. Well, what what are you excited about outside of like the the training and nutrition space? Like, I feel like when you really start going down this rabbit hole, as we have, like you start to get fascinated by the seemingly unrelated at the time things but as you dig deeper you recognize that it's all symbiotic so like stress sleep i mean what else is really hot, hot on your radar right now 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's funny because especially during quarantine, I think some of us, um, we get so laser focused on maybe whatever the work is that we're doing that we don't sometimes take time to step back and look at what else is going on that's mm-hmm. that's cool and cool and fun um i i don't know about you but i need a vacation pretty bad right about now but um <laughs> you know we'll get there um but i i would say like the larger part of this that i'm really excited about um through my own podcast that i do which you'll have to come on mine we'll we'll do a, a trade you can come talk to me on muscle maven radio yeah. um but with the podcast with the book with any of the projects that i'm working on What I really hope for people generally in the health and wellness space is to empower people to listen to themselves and their bodies and understand that they have more tools and ability to make themselves happy and healthy than they think they do. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're in this environment where there's there's such a wealth of information that it's paralyzing a lot of the time and it's confusing and people start to not trust anything because there's so much conflicting information out there that everyone's like, oh, it's just a special interest. Like you're just trying to sell something. I don't, I don't believe anything you're saying. And it can be, like I said, paralyzing. People don't know who to trust. They don't know where to turn they don't know what to do they don't know how to start it, and that's that's when when people come to me that tends to be sort of the place they're at they're like i tried this and then i tried that and then i gave up and then i tried this again um and what i hope to to do for people through the work that i'm doing and, and bringing on smart people and having people share information um is just to to empower people to experiment and listen to what their body is telling them and to understand that a lot of times the experts or the coaches um, really they don't know more about you and your health and your goals and your body than you do. You know, like a lot of times we have, we have a special experience or background then we can help people and we can be accountable, you know, they're accountability person and we can guide them. But I think so often people put all of the, um, all of the knowledge and and responsibility outside of themselves and then they feel powerless and they're waiting for the next coach or influencer or fad to come along and tell them how to be healthy um when so often if you could kind of just take the time to be sort of introspective and sit with yourself like the answers are there right so like when people when these women come to me and they're like i don't know about the bodybuilding thing and i've kind of heard and people are telling me but i'm not sure i'm like think about that for a minute. Like you're answering your own question, you know? And like people will come to me and say like, I've, I've done fasting for a year to lose 50 pounds and it was great. And now it's not working anymore. And I'm frustrated and I don't know what to do. And I I just keep doubling down because it worked before. And I'm like, you know what to do, right? Like you're telling me, you're telling me what to do. You just, you don't trust yourself yet. Right. So, and we're all there. Like we all have moments where we kind of don't we second guess ourselves or we think that other people are right because they maybe have better abs or they have more money than us or whatever. Um, But I think that there's a fine balance between just being open to new information, being willing to try new things, but ultimately uh, it's on you to take the responsibility for your own health, to experiment, to listen to what your body's telling you. Um, And I think we can all, all benefit from that. And it goes back to what we were saying before about instead of this this health and fitness journey being an end goal like can i do this in three months and then i'll look good and then i'll feel good about myself like approaching it like this is my life this is a this is just part of who i am so i'm going to always be willing to evolve and adapt and try new things and 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 you know switch up if i need to and and just learn and make that a lifelong thing and make it a positive thing rather than a a scary or a negative thing that you just have to get through you know so 
Again, total rant again. I'm just all over the rants today, but but that's what I hope. That's what I'm excited about. That's what I'm I'm trying to to do for people and for myself, and and that's what I, I that's ultimately what I really want to accomplish with my work. I love it. You know, I I think we're always always we're always talking about the importance of you know discipline, consistency, and you know just longevity, and those are all like very very important. But I think before you can even go down a path of being disciplined towards something, you have to have the self awareness present at the onset yeah. in order to know who you are and where you're going. And I feel like that that is a major lacking uh, you know, topic. I feel like people, that they're spending so much time consuming content from other people that they don't even know who they, they themselves are. They're afraid to be in silence and let themselves get in their own head. And I feel like Absolutely. having some self-awareness is the first step towards being able to to approach anything with discipline or consistency or persistence, like all the other buzzwords that you hear in the whole dieting, fitness, nutrition space. But you got to start with self-awareness. Absolutely. And it's not easy. Like we, we all fall back and, and have have problems with it because if it was easy then you know we've said it before everybody would have a six-pack and be perfectly happy and make the right amount of money and <laughs> all of that stuff like sitting with yourself and figuring out what you really want what you don't want um what works for you that's hard work but no one else is going to be able to do that for you people can help but you have to do it yourself and so i think that's why that perspective switch from who can i pay to fix my life or what can i learn to to change things and just be like i've got the tools let's figure it out and let's have fun with it that's how we need to approach it 100 percent. was there i I don't want to go on too long here but was there like a aha moment in your life personally where like you knew what path trajectory you wanted to at least be on. I know there's there's, there's never like really a single defining moment for everybody. It's always like a, a summation of everything that's happened to them up to that point. But was there any like aha moment for you to lead you down this path? Yeah, I mean, there. I guess there kind of was, and I mean, these these aha moments, I think, are kind of constantly happening, and and it will always be happening because I'm certainly not at any end point. I'm I'm always trying to grow and get better and and do more. Um, but I would say probably the switch I talked about earlier with the career um, change that I made, where I was, you know, doing corporate marketing communications, and I was working in these industries that I I really didn't care about. And at one point, I was living in. New York and I was working for a, a big insurance company and I was mm-hmm. doing marketing and I was in my mid 20s and I was making really good money um, and I hated it and it was when I was sort of learning about I was really into CrossFit and I was learning about paleo and I was writing some things for different magazines on the side and I was kind of having this this moment it was right around the sort of economic downturn in like 2008-2009 where I was like, I have a choice to make here. I could keep doing this work that pays me really good, that I hate and I have no passion for and is making me miserable, but there's money and that's what we all want, right? We all want to make good money. Or I could take the risk and and go out and start doing some things that actually fill my cup and, and make me feel good and that, I, or that I'm passionate about. Um, and, you know, I didn't just jump blindly into it. There was a transition process that happened there. But I remember during a time when people were very lucky to hold on to their they're good paying jobs. I left mine. Um, and I don't for a day regret doing that. So, um, I would say that was probably a big one because, um, and look, I'm not telling people to go quit their jobs. I'm just saying that, that, um, when something feels right to you, do it, even if it's scary, do it, especially if it's scary, because those things that you really feel passionately about, those aren't going to go away. Um, and finding ways to incorporate that into your life and just, you know, have passion and have things that, um, that, 
feel good to you, I think that's important because, you know, it's that old cliche, money isn't everything. It's important, but it really isn't everything. So um, find ways to, to make money, but also do things that you love. I think that's very important. I 100% agree. I mean, I, I've got a similar story with my leaving the corporate job, court, corporate atmosphere. And mm-hmm. it's, it's funny because, you know, making money, uh, like that's all necessary. Like you have to, you know, basically meet your you know needs. But money, like when you when you see the, the light on the other side, and you actually cross that chasm and you experience the, the feeling of true fulfillment that you can only get if you're pursuing something with absolute passion, that... And that moment when you recognize that that's what's happening, that is worth so much more than any paycheck could ever be. And my hope is that everybody has enough faith in themselves to be able to just jump and pursue that thing. And even if they don't make as much money, if they make less money, but they're doing something that they're truly passionate about, like that is just so much more rewarding. And life is finite. You will die. So you might as well be enjoying what you're doing. That's the truth. Yep. Couldn't have said it better. Well, actually, we're speaking the same language for sure. Yeah, Where can people go it. to find out more about you and just keep learning from you? Yeah, so my website is ashleyvanhouten.com, just my name. It's not a common one, so you might have to put that in the show notes yeah, if people spell it right, but that's that's my website. Um, I'm most active on Instagram, so you can follow me there at The Muscle Maven, and I will definitely answer you and say hi and chat and talk about organ meats. Um, and you should be able to via both of those channels, um, find out more about the book. It'll be available, um, you know, for pre-order wherever. Um, and then also you can check me out on my, uh, podcast muscle Maven radio. You can, um, subscribe to that anywhere you listen to podcasts. Awesome. I will certainly link out to all those. I truly do appreciate the time. I, I think we are speaking the same language and everything that you've said I've resonated with and agree with. So I'm glad you had the opportunity to, to speak on it. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Take care, Ashley. 